Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there, Keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. Hello and welcome back to episode 86 of the Disunomics podcast. As you should be able to tell by the background vocals from my dog Wizkid, the modern day MJ, as well as the title, we're talking Africa today. I want to be joined by the lovely Annette Abena. We're going to be talking diaspora wars, technology in Africa, China, entrepreneurship of women, and many other wonderful things related to Africa. That is going to be the gist of this week's podcast. But as per, a big shout out to those who listened to episode 85 from last week. That was just me for about 20 odd minutes discussing universal basic income. Should each individual in the United Kingdom receive a lump sum, a certain amount from the government without it being means tested? to kind of reduce um, inequality and poverty. So I discuss kind of the ins and outs of that, which I hope to discuss in more detail with a few experts in the future. Make sure that you also follow me on Spotify. You could just search Dysonomics. So while you're listening to your tunes, I might be Whiskey, might be H. Renada, Drake, whoever, you could just also just quickly delve, delve into my podcast. But anyway, this week's podcast, episode 86, apologies, I sounded a lot worse. I've been dealing with, I don't know what type of flu, cold, man flu this is. So I probably sound a lot worse when I recorded this earlier today, but bear with me. Anyway, I hope you enjoy. Episode 86. Hi, it's MXM and listen to the Dysonomics podcast because it's lit. It's lit. It's lit. It's lit. Hello, welcome back to episode, I think it's 86 of the Dysonomics podcast. Apologies if I still sound horrible. I haven't fully recovered yet from whatever disease this may be. But this week, uh, episode a long time coming. I'm joined by the wonderful Annette. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Long time. Can I tell the listeners how you were being a bit of a chicken for a while? <laughs> yeah, I was shook. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Why were you, why was yeah. you shook? I don't know. I guess because the topic that we're about to talk about, um, just, yeah, the nature of it, it can be very... Um, it can be very politicized and also like everybody has um, a lot of opinions and I don't profess to be an expert in anything. Um, so I'm, I was just skeptical about like putting myself out there, but you know, it's in the, in the, in the spirit of, of sharing me as well. So yeah, happy to be here. But people, um, I want you people to understand that Annette has a blog about this anyway. So everything she just said makes no sense because she writes about <laughs> stuff. But I can hide behind it. I can hide behind my, my words, you know, and I don't have to respond to anyone. But yeah, <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> anyway, okay, cool. So, um, Annette, so where, what did you, did you go to university? Did you study anything? Yeah, so um, I went to Union Birmingham. And, Which uni? Uh, 
Pardon? Which university did you go in Birmingham? University of Birmingham. Oh. I know we went to the same uni, but we weren't in this. We didn't go at the same time. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, alumni. Um, gang, gang, gang. I did. Um, I have a law degree, um, but I work in financial services now, consulting. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so I, I, I don't know why I assumed you did economics. Oh. No, I did. The last time I did economics was A level. Um, but yeah. Um, Part of the reason why I even started um, the blog was I've always just been interested in business in general. Um, and um, so I've always been had commercial interests. And at the same time, I've always been quite passionate about my culture um, and being Ghanaian and African, etc. Um, and I just found it difficult to sort of marry the two things together, especially as I was going into um, my professional career. Um, so I just started to do my own research and figure out what exactly was going on in Africa because I'd read things that was going on in the UK or other developed economies. Um, and I just think, oh, what does this mean for Africa? Or what's, what is that impact here? Um, I couldn't find anything. So it was really, I started really on a personal level, just trying to um, research my own things. So, yeah. How long have you, so I mentioned that you have a blog. So yeah. how, what's the name of your blog? What is it about and how long? Oh, my, yeah. my voice okay. is terrible, sorry. <clears throat> what? So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll backtrack on. then. Um, so my blog is my name, so it's aneabana.com and it focuses on African business, entrepreneurship and development. So as I said, um, I wanted to know about the business trends in Africa and understand the business landscape. Um, so what I mostly write about and the content that I mostly produce is... Um, so write-ups about business trends in Africa. So anything from ride-hailing apps um, like Uber um, in Africa to um, FinTech, which I've just published. Um, so um, just analysing the business trends there and also um, interviewing African entrepreneurs, whether they're at home or like within the diaspora, doing something um, to do with Africa um, or like influenced by the culture. Um, and then also like reviews um, of um, African businesses and events. So that's what, that's mostly what the content is on the blog. Okay, cool. And just give us the name of it again. So so it's AnnetteAbner.com. So A-N-N-E-T-T-E, Abner, A-B-E-N-A.com. Okay, I'll put the link in the description anyway. Okay, cool. So... Uh, at least we know what you're about so by the <clears> title <throat> people should guess what we're going to be discussing so yeah what do you want to discuss first we've got china we've got mm. africa tech the support engagement which one do you want to go for first yeah um i guess yeah i guess we could start with the meaty one first right so i guess china would be um a topic that is on everyone's minds um and i think it's getting a lot more um exposure um especially this year um and i think the, i think the issue mainly with africa and china is that there's a lack of understanding and also a lack of transparency um so yeah we could we could start with that all right cool so for a while china has been um i'm what's it called <clears throat> rolling out major plans to kind of increase their partnership with africa mm. like trying to get bilateral ties and quote unquote win um win win cooperation mm. agreements and this is in all t- different types of countries they've they spent they spent a lot of money in, in Africa and loads of mm. people that I know from 
whether they be Ghanaian, Nigerian, and I'm mainly speaking for my West African friends, they see a lot more Chinese businesses popping up in yeah. in, in the Western part of Africa. So what is your understanding with what has been going on in recent years with, with, with regards to China and in Africa yeah so yeah um again I'm gonna put this disclaimer <laughs> that yeah like mm-hmm. I'm not I don't profess to be any sort of expert just someone that has an interest um and has been doing research etc um but yeah so from essentially what's been happening um it really goes down to issue of debt so um well firstly like debt isn't something that's a bad thing like um in itself so like everybody needs debt everybody needs a credit line even on a personal level so like for many for most people for instance um you're not able to buy a house outright so you take out a loan you take out debt in the form of a mortgage and you pay it back um so and so even um economies even countries need debt um to survive even developed economies need that so in the UK we talk about like the budget deficit etc um, so everybody, every every functioning um, thing needs um, debt and a credit line to survive, and essentially that's what that's where the relationship is coming from. Because mm. yeah, so that's where the relationship um, stems from. Because China essentially is offering loans that are appear to have better terms for African economies, and when I say appear to have better terms. Um, that's comparing to, say, um, the IMF or the World Bank um, that will essentially treat African governments like kids. So, like, offer them mm. um, loans with very high interest um, and uh, on certain conditions. So, say, oh, we'll offer you this loan on the condition that, um, I don't know, like, you can prove that um, you've been able to manage um, your finance in a certain way. And, of course, like, if you're a politician, especially if you're looking to mismanage your funds, um that isn't the type of loan that you want. That isn't the, the sort of tie that you want, um, whether you think, whether it's good for your your country in the long term or not. Um, so um, that's why I say China, Chinese loans appear to be, um, have better offers for them. And also um, in exchange um, for um, lending, Chinese um, governments also accept um, national commodities as guarantees. So essentially mm. when... Um, African economies aren't able to um, put up that basically put up the collateral or like um, able to show that they have the capital to pay back um, these loans. They can use their um, commodities as guarantees. So, looking at, for instance, Zambia as an example, um, it's often used as sort of like a cautionary tale of the the China Africa relationship. So recently, it was shown that. Um, it was said that Zambia had put their um, Zambia had put their um, national power supplier um, up for collateral. So that essentially means that if Zambia were to to default on a Chinese loan, um, China would have control of their national supplier. Um, hmm. So that that's the sort of things that we're seeing um, in the China Africa relationship. And um, even then, it isn't just about like um, the capital. So China is also offering um their services so china is um offering to build infrastructure projects so for instance building airports in african cities um and also because essentially china has the manufacturing capabilities and unfortunately africa just doesn't so um that is an appealing aspect of the of their diplomacy basically 
Um, and also what I would say where, just to backtrack again, is that um, where a lot of this debt lies is the fact that African economies are very much exposed to the commodities markets and um, mm. very much reliant on their national resources. So, for instance, um, take Nigeria, um, the biggest air, um, oil exporter in Africa. So when the price of oil fell um, around 2014, 2015... Nigeria went into recession. Um, so that's how, like, literally tied these economies are to um, commodities. And at, as you know, commodities um, go up and down all the time. Um, so that's when they get into debt and they have to plug these gaps with loans. Um, and so it's just like a vicious cycle, really. Um, and that's what basically China... And China's not the first um, economy or powerhouse to take advantage of this Um but this is just like the latest, the latest thing. And it just looks a little different. So we need to be careful of that and not think this is some new phenomenon. So, yeah, I don't know. I hope I've explained that, but we could break it down a little, a little yeah, more. Yeah, no, no, you've explained it. You've explained it pretty well. Um, so just some uh, statistical mm. backup to things you said. Like in the first six months of this mm. year, the trade volume between China and Africa exceeded 98.8 billion dollars yeah. so that's like 77 billion pounds which is up 16 <coughs> percent yeah from the previous year according to the commerce ministry and then even if you look at um the annual average china's direct in, um, investment in africa it remained about three billion the past three years despite fluctuations international investment in the continent mm. so china is quite consistent in africa yeah. uh, some of the things that you've mentioned um is you mentioned the debt, mm. um, the debt agreements, and I have my suspicions of that because some of some of the countries mm. that um, China's engaging in, they evidently do not have the economies or capital to repay these exactly. loans in any sort of capacity. Mm. But China know this is 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 kind of like a sneaky way. Like, okay, cool, do it. Yeah, instead of us coming and say, let's take control of some of your key institutions or some of have access to some of your key resources more often than not a country or sovereign country would be like no but if you're going to offer them yeah. money and they're going to think oh yeah we're able to pay this back da, 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 da. but okay you use some key um, parts of that country as um, as collateral you're not only getting some money back in terms of whenever they can pay the loan but when they eventually yeah. default you get, you get access control to some and you get you ownership actually, yeah. yeah yeah exactly That that's yeah that's essentially what's happening but I would say that like this relationship in itself isn't like a bad thing. Like we we live like we live in like in a, an increasingly globalized world, right? Every like we need yeah. we need diplomacy and we need agreements like this and we need that's exactly why like post Brexit now, um, you know, the UK is trying to reach out across the world because like no economy can um, survive in a silo. Um, so agreements like this can be good, but it, the issue is when. Um, is when the uh, terms are not are not um, exactly favorable. not favorable exactly, and you have to remember as well. Like, there's obviously something Africa has that China wants and can identify as having value. So we actually do have we sh- we should be in a position where um, sorry, what's the word? Be in a position where we we should be able to negotiate. But we've essentially been paralysed by 
you know, years of mismanagement um, of government funds, of public funds, and also a lot of the leaders that are um, sitting at the table um, with China have a very short-term view. Um, They just want to look like they're building the infrastructure or look like they're doing something, but they're not thinking of the long-term implications of the the deals that they they are are getting themselves into. So that's a real issue. And yeah, like you said, like, China has been very consistent and they've pledged $60 billion um, this year to Africa. Um, and in fact, I talked about um, Africa, a lot of African economies um, using their commodities as guarantees. And there's something like a third of um, loans have been tied to commodities. So essentially, if any mm. of these if any of um, these, Afri- these African governments were to default on their loan, then China will have control over their their economy. Basically, because we rely so much on our commodities, that's our bread and butter, that's our lifeline, uh, the way um, trading patterns, our trading patterns work. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty scary stuff. Um, but and also as well, the, the interesting thing about the China agreements is that um, they look, as I said, they look a bit different from what we've seen historically, because this is nothing new. Mm. But what China are also doing is getting their foot in there. So essentially, like, um, they've made agreements whereby, as well as, oh, we'll give you loan, we'll give you some money. Oh, yeah. So, um, like I said, like, these agreements aren't anything new. Um, we've seen these sorts of things for years with the IMF, with the World Bank, etc., and, and other um, economies in Africa in terms of loans. But, like, what looks a bit little different with China is the the type of the diplomacy so for instance like china has established um economic zones in certain um african countries so what these are like are business parks full of small factories specializing in in man- chinese manufacturing and they're exclusive to chinese manufacturers so basically making it easy for chinese companies to set up shop by reducing their operational costs mm-hmm. so basically uh, giving them the environment where they can they can thrive within Africa and eventually, well, they start off as start off as start small businesses, startups. But if they have the environment where they can thrive and grow, they'll become multinationals. Um, so that's the sort of thing I think is is quite distinct about this relationship um, this time around. Um, so yeah, it's it's quite interesting, and there's so many different layers to it. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, even, just um, following up some, from some yeah. of your points, if you look at um, how even how the investment is structured yeah. around, uh, in Africa is pretty much heavily predominated around the Chinese um, firms having a lot of mm. ownerships. So, with roughly ninety percent of the firms entering Africa are either majority controlled or owned outright by Chinese nationals. Mm-hmm. And there's estimated to be like 10,000 different Chinese firms in Africa. Obviously, the good side is that they've produced like several millions of jobs for yeah. Africans. But if you're looking at long-term impl- implication, the sovereignty... decision-making and The decision-making ownership influence will not be from people of, from that domestic homeland. It will be from yeah. externals. It'll be from China, which would not always necessarily be in the yeah. best interest of the people who live in the country. It'll be in the best interest of yeah. China or the all these Chinese businesses. Um, so it's quite it's quite a tricky one because we're kind of seeing almost an economic colonization yeah, of yeah, Africa. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
yeah. from China. But because China's is helping, you know, create jobs that these domestic nations aren't yeah. creating for their own people, it's quite difficult to demonize it unless you know really know what's going yeah. on. Exactly. And so, uh, that, that's, so, yeah, because like sorry, oh, I was just going to say, and yeah, that, that's exactly it. Unless you know what's going on, and the point is that there's 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 very limited transparency of the of the agreements that are go, that are happening, um, because a lot of um, a lot of the agreements actually don't go through the government formally or go through the treasury formally, which is, I guess, like the government bank account. So, like a lot of things can be underhand under underhanded, and because a lot of it is based on diplomacy, like oh, okay. So if we're going to do this for you, then um, allow X amount of companies to build here. Um, it You can't really pinpoint or a figure or like a, a percentage. Um, a lot of things aren't being um, communicated. So I think that's, that's, again, where the issue is lies. People just don't understand what's going on. And that's a real source of hysteria. Yeah. It's and also when you get when you got corruption, mm-hmm. which uh, many of us Africans are mm. aware of, it makes things even harder because some of the leadership will can be more than aware that okay, this deal was not in the best interest uh-huh. of the people. But if I can get a little, a little, a little piece of the pie, I'm gonna run this deal regardless. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's it's quite a, it's quite a big issue for Africa. So at least it's so I'm very happy that eventually I've finally put on my podcast. Like I feel yeah. like. I've got quite a lot of African um, people from African um, descent listening to my podcast, and I think this is quite a yeah, serious issue yeah. with regards to what's going on in our in our yeah, exactly. Lands. And even talking about like politicians, right? So imagine like like a lot of these presidents are like or like people in government are like seventy plus, right? They don't care about what's going to happen in the next twenty mm. or thirty years. All they care about is that this loan um, is is on better terms and not being like watched like they are. Um, from the IMF, etc., um, and they can appear to be producing infrastructure projects off, off the back of China and look like they're doing something for their economy, and also um, be able to mismanage their funds when, as they can. So it, that's that's where their appeal comes from. Um, so yeah, it's it's quite interesting, but there's just so much to go into as well. This could literally be its own like podcast or its own thing. So like, they're just, but like, I, I encourage people if. If they are interested in this topic, you just like need to keep your eyes on it because things are always changing, things are always coming up, and there's so many conflicting um, reports as well. Again, because people just don't know, really know what's going on. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, definitely for real. So that's something that I would definitely be revisited, revisited at a later date. So we discussed China, Africa. Yeah. So do you want to talk tech or? How do you say it? is it diaspora? Is diaspora. Diaspora. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we can we can go into. That. I've never heard anyone in my life say diaspora. <laughs> so is that the correct? Is that the correct no, way? Are, yeah, you, are you? I'm re- sure it is. That's how I say it. So. Okay. okay. Um, you don't sound confident. But yeah. <laughs> no. Um. But yeah. So. Um. What I kind of wanted to touch on was like um sort of like diaspora engagement as well because um so what essentially that is for people that don't know is that people like you and I. Um, that are have our African descent, um, uh, but that now have an interest in Africa, and I think that's that's growing quite a lot, especially in the, in the last recent years, because I think of mm. technology and social media, we're able to sort of like cut through the noise of what like um, mainstream media tells us about what's happening back home or about what 
Africa is or looks like and we're able to make our own stories and share our own stories like directly between us so there has been like increased engagement um and that's literally part of the reason why I started blogging because I wanted to Mm. understand what was going on for myself um so a lot of what I do um when I write articles um and like do interviews I reach out to people that have actually been on the ground and um and um, have that experience because I'm only one person and I'm and I'm based in London. So my so my perspective will be very different and honestly quite limited. Um, so um, I think that that's been a phenomenon that's that's been increasing um, quite a lot. So yeah, I find it's, it's it's quite interesting because like every other day on social media you'll get like a diaspora type war. And yeah. I just find it very. <coughs> very, 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 very. Like, how, how do you read that when you see that going on? Um, to be honest, that's always that's always happened. Um, mm. um, I think, yeah, I think it's interesting. Like, um, so for, for instance, um, the whole like Black Panther Wakanda thing, and looking at like there was after Wakanda uh, after Black Panther came out, um, and like the um the hysteria that went on like with African-Americans and then there was a bit of a conflict between like Africans and African-Americans and like, you know, how like African-Americans like just doing that up, utmost um, and not being like as authentic. Um, yeah, so yeah. like I actually wrote a piece on this and like Black Panther and stuff. And my honest opinion on it is like, of course, like we know like there's the ignorance um, generally amongst like African-Americans can be very, very like widespread, very rife. Um, but I think like, I didn't, I didn't think it was necessarily a bad thing that like Black Panther had sparked some sort of interest or like some sort of pride amongst African-Americans and even like Africans in general, just because Mm. like, um, I just think like, it's very easy for us, like, especially as being like first generation, second generation Africans, knowing our roots and like having somewhere to go back to, to like look down on people that just don't have that luxury so that essentially is going to be their source of of like like a trigger for them to look into their heritage more and if that's the case then I don't see anything necessarily wrong with that and yes like Mm. um a lot of it isn't like um as authentic as it can be but like it's a journey right it's steps like and I don't think even us as like first or second generation Africans we weren't we didn't come out of the womb like knowing everything about Africa or being a hundred percent prideful of Africa. Like it's been a journey for us too. So like if we've had to go on a journey, imagine what journey they've had to go on. Do you know what I mean? And I think like, I just, I think it just, there's just no point in creating like conflict and saying, ah, like these lot, man, like they, they just need to like, they don't know nothing. This isn't the real Africa. And yeah, you're right. But then what are you doing then? Are you, are you helping? Are you like, are you teaching people? Are you sharing anything about your culture? Nah, like you're just sitting there, you know, just like creating conflict on the timeline. I, I, I don't know. I just don't think that's right. And um, of course, there's always going to be ignorance. Like in in this world, like um, the way Africa has been portrayed, like we've been miseducated for so long and there's still going to be so much ignorance and miseducation. Um and I, I guess it's just up to us, especially within the, the diaspora, to like um, just engage and communicate and share what we know 
I think that's the only way we can like really eradicate any ignorance. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think that's my opinion really. Yeah, yeah um, I, I I agree with a lot of that. Um, I find it quite strange. I can't lie, the whole Black Panther thing was was it was proper. Yeah, it's jarring. It, it is. I'm not gonna. <laughs> it wasn't like then. And then people get too excited, like turning everything into some deeper meaning. I'm like, fam, it's a yeah. Marvel film, like relax. Like it was just a bit jarring after yeah, well, a while. Even now, but even I, now, I, it's just, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. yeah, but um, I do I, I do agree with what a lot of you're saying, especially because okay, I'm 29, mm. so I'm probably a bit older than you. But I remember when I was, let's say, primary school, early secondary school. Um, I'm just talking from personal experiences, and I know people from mm. like different areas in London. So, and I've seen it echoed, but I can't, I'm not going to pretend that this is like universal because it's just experiences, mm-hmm. project experiences as evidence. But from experiences of people in and around me, and from what I saw on like my social media and all that type of stuff, that. It wasn't like almost. It almost wasn't socially acceptable to be a proud mm-hmm. African when mm-hmm. I was in what later primary school, secondary school. It probably like I swear, like people really started riding for it. Like from my experiences, maybe when Twitter really started mm-hmm. to take off, mm-hmm. because that kind of that kind of um, when Twitter and social media really started to um, take off, when we more 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 of us got access to smartphones and smart devices, etc. It kind of coincided with the rise of African yeah, music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when that first started, then I then you started to see more of a change in perception, and obviously people going to university, they're now be able to connect yeah. to one another because of social media. And then you got start to see that a lot more or more Africans were connecting with one another. Because back in the days, people used to pretend that they were just British or... No, Jamaican. Or British, but some people... <laughs> yeah, people say, yeah, I'm Jamaican or I'm from yeah. America or somewhere. But I think I was kind of fortunate that my parents will always yeah. be like, every time I do something, like, listen, you're not British, you know, we're Nigerian, yeah. I'm gonna slap you mm-hmm. type of thing. So I, I've always been like, kind of like a proud Nigerian, but that wasn't really... I wouldn't say that was really universal. Yeah. And because obviously people feel down to peer pressure and stuff like that so it's quite interesting seeing the how in response how some people from i'm saying we got um africans living in the united kingdom especially london are acting towards america you've got to understand that america's a, a humongous mm. country in size for one like california is bigger than the uk it's a massive country everything you want to every type of holiday you will want to go on you could go in america so there really isn't much incentives for america if you want to go on a ski holiday in america mm. you could go there if you want to go on a beach holiday you could go there if you want to go fishing like metropolitan city rural everything's in america. america's got every type mm. of climate possible and it's a massive country so americans tend to be quite insulated, yeah. super patriotic they don't really tend to have as much intrigue with yeah, the rest of yeah. the world compared mm. to us so you got to get that level of ignorance mm. there but I tweeted yesterday like people don't want to offer, offer the same luxury that they provide themselves exactly so a lot of the stuff that some people have unlearned over time you don't want to give Americans and I find a whole yeah that's so true um, transatlantic social media war so oh, pathetic like people arguing with Americans I'm like by the time you tweet them they're asleep like I don't wait until they tweet you back it's just pathetic like relax like, like, you, like oh win, you lot yeah. you lot losers yeah it's just like it's really yeah. sad like especially when you're all like black people you're meant to be yeah. kind of one community and we and we absolutely love and beg off their culture so it's quite ironic mm. like like 30 to 50 percent of the slang we use is theirs the music pop, pop, fast we don't really yeah. use is theirs whatever's popping over there it's gonna pop over here like it's just, it's just a bit yeah, sad yeah no like, their culture is like, very influment, influential globally and like yeah like definitely um yeah no i 100 agree with you and like there are like of course there are like people that remain ignorant and also like people that are looking into Africa and not not taking not being authentic with it but again there is very much 
there are people genuinely reaching out and like trying to engage. Um, and I feel like if there are people out there that are trying to engage and then they're met with like a resistance, which often sometimes is understandable given people's experiences with some African-Americans, for example, then the progress, like we're not going to progress basically. And like, um, I even, I know there's, um, I saw the statistic the other day um, that like in Ghana, there's like a a growing African-American community. So like something like 5,000 African-Americans have migrated to um, Ghana and Ghana has made it easier for African-Americans to migrate and actually gain citizenship. Mm. Um, So like there is that movement that's going on now. And like, like you said, like you hit the nail on the head, like social media has, has made, um, has had a big impact on that because like I said before, we've sort of cut through like the middleman and gone straight to um and engage straight with people on the ground um what we have the ability to do that technology has given us the ability to do that so we're not looking we're not learning about africa from um uh, the news or like i don't know um natural history etc um anymore like we are actually engaging with people directly and understanding them um and and yeah, so I think that that's, that's been a huge change. Um, but I, I would also say it's not by force for people to move back home or like, like it's not everybody's portion. Um, so I wouldn't like, so I feel like a lot of the time people, when it comes to talking about Africa and stuff, they feel a bit some way because they think they even have to be 100% in or like out. So like, they're like, well, I'm not going to move. So like, no, nah, I'm not on it kind of thing. But everybody can can do their part i think if you're proud to be african and like you see um opportunities and also you understand the challenges um and you have in in and in any capacity you can contribute i think you should do that i i think everybody has that i i personally think everybody has that duty too um but yeah yeah i i i agree with that i just i find it looking at it's find it quite i find it quite embarrassing um I find the whole uh, diaspora wars so embarrassing mm. because then when something happens to your Caribbean compatriot or your um, African American compatriot or your African compatriot, you're up in arms. Oh, the racism! We got protect our black people. Then two days later, you're doing the most. It's just it's just mm. embarrassing. It's really yeah. it, I find it truly embarrassing for for and it's just maybe it kind of leads into a wider issue for why maybe we do not see as much collaboration as we we'll like in between right, yeah. our own communities, but. It's just a lot of ignorance and people, def- especially people here, we should know better. Yeah. Especially African Americans is one thing, but here we should know yeah. better. Like, I feel like um, culturally, the gap between African and Caribbean has definitely diminished. I'll say. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like third, yeah. like, third generation migrants, almost like two peas on a pod mm, to, to mm, a certain extent. Mm. So, like, this type of higgy haga behavior really shouldn't run. Yeah. So, yeah I'm, <laughs> <For a, laughs> I'm in agreement yeah. with you. So, we can round this podcast up by talking about. Africa and tech. I see you talk about yeah. this quite often. Yeah, no. Um, so yeah, so like tech um, in Africa has like, it, there's there's real opportunities there. Um, essentially because like, um, okay, so like I'll just like backtrack a bit. So, and use the example of um, fintech. So for instance, like um, something like only 17% of um, the population in sub-Saharan Africa have bank accounts um and that's compared to wow. like um developed economies where 60 percent have bank accounts and like traditional banking is part of like everyday life so like atms bank tellers um you know all the f- core financial services that we take for granted it like 
we have that in, um, integrated in our entire everyday life. Um, but that's not the case um, on the continent. So like I said, only mm. around 17% have bank accounts. But at the same time, um, sorry, so basically that means that like for decades, um, many Africans are not um, able to, um, they're unbanked. There's no, they, they're not included in financial services. Um, but technology is um, disrupting that and um, and sort of plugging that gap um, essentially because um, although not many people have bank accounts, more people have mobile phones. Um, I think the penetration mm. um, sort of stands at like 44% or something like that. And although that is, um, that is uh, smaller than um, in developed economies, um, the fact that um, more people have mobile phones means that, you know, services can be directed to their mobiles. Um, so that's that's the sort of the concept of leapfrogging. So essentially, African economies and consumers don't have to go through the transitional phases that we've gone through in developed economies. So for instance, like we started off with like physical stores and like bank tellers and, and ATMs and stuff. And now we can use our phones to pay for things. But in Africa, they've literally jumped that, well, they're jumping through that infrastructure um, and going straight in onto mobile devices. Um, so that's where the um, sort of like opportunities are lying. Um, so there's quite a few fintech startups that are coming up now um, and just trying to get, um, include the pop- African population into financial services, really. Um, so yeah, tech is an interesting one. And as well as fintech, um, yeah, so tech is an interesting one because essentially what technology technology has the ability to do is to plug the gaps um where um there haven't been provision provisions for for many years so as well as fintech as i mentioned um there's agricultural technology as well um a lot of startups in that field health tech too excuse me so um yeah um technology is quite interesting but i would say that although there is has this been this phenomenon of um leapfrogging so essentially like skipping all the tr- industrial phases um I, I feel like we do have to be careful in that um you know when you're developing the the development develop excuse me the stages of development are important right um and mm-hmm. they um shape the phase the next phase and the next phase and the next phase and eventually you refine what you, the end product and if we haven't got that there is um there is a um there's the potential there to have still have gaps remaining essentially um and yeah yeah i think that's that's all kind of had to say about that <laughs> yeah i think the um the rising tech is very interesting um i find it quite interesting even in terms of <clears throat> entrepreneurship especially when you look at women for example you're seeing yeah higher um, engagement in terms of technology for women we've got places like cameroon Ghana, mm-hmm. nigeria mm-hmm. all these different um, regions in in africa at a much higher rate than the Western world, so you're looking yes. at Canada, yeah, France, yeah. Germany, UK. So why do you why do you think that is? Yeah, I think the main because 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 some will argue that mm-hmm. African nations are way more patriarchal and mm. you know, probably a lot more have considerably less opportunities, probably seen as less yeah. equals of men than other societies in the West. So despite these clear um, barriers, why do you feel like you see such a um, contrast in terms of engagement uh, in tech and success yeah from, yeah from yeah um, yeah no definitely like african women are some of the most entrepreneurial 
um, mm. in the world. And I think um, you have to remember, although, yes, we do have like patriarchal, um, patriarchal, patriarchal societies and cultural norms, um, women are the backbone of many families, um, of, of, of mm. most families, essentially. Um, and so they're the ones that are, in fact, they're the ones that are like, um, so when, when women make money, the whole family makes money. That's, that's basically what it is. So they're the backbone mm. of the family. So if you're giving women the tools, the te- uh, excuse me, if you're giving women um, the tools such as technology to be able to make their money easier, um, that means the whole family is going to eat because the women are the mm. ones that um, make provisions for the family. And although the, the men may be the breadwinner, um, often the woman is providing for their whole community as well as their immediate family. Um, so mm. that's that's why I think, and also like necessity breeds innovation, right? So like, yeah, um, when there aren't opportunities for women in the formal sector, which often there isn't, um, they will turn to entrepreneurship. And uh, like, if anybody's been to Africa, whatever, like you will see, it's the women that are the ones on the in the markets. They're the ones that are selling. Yeah, facts. So, um, like if you give them the tools to do that, they're only going to make things better and they're only going to continue on with on in the entrepreneurial in the entrepreneurial spirit. So yeah, that's why where I think that comes from. Yeah, definitely. Um when there's necessity, um so I've I, I've always I've often argued, this is my own personal argument, that because things are more when I say more favorable, this is in comparison to other regions. So if you look at the West, mm-hmm. things are probably more favorable for both men and women in in the West and yeah, yeah. if you're it's looking at Africa, true. Asia, Southern, Southern, Southern mm-hmm. America. So you have more choice. So you don't you have you probably have more room to be content and you know, and just easy. You don't have to yeah. if you don't really want to go and make, I don't know, considerable amounts of money you don't have mm-hmm. to whereas in in um, what's it called in, I'm looking at West Africa for mm-hmm. example obviously I've been to Nigeria if you don't go out and get it nobody's giving yeah. it to you like there's no there's no safety net there's no safety net it's either you, if you don't go out and get it you, you die you'll starve so I feel like that kind of um kind of ignites a flame of and it's just necessity mm-hmm. kind of fight or flight or when you often give humans fight or flight in situation you can't even fly you have to yeah. you have to eat by yeah, fire by exactly. force and and I even saw like something I always refer to study and I don't know why I can't find it but um, it was asking um, men and women their preferences and their interest in certain university subjects so if you look at like when you're looking at the in African countries India China women were way more interested in terms of like um, engineering, um, maths, economics, um, chemical, um, biochemistry, all these type of industries that that yield to to higher, to higher um, earnings than in the West. Like almost in some places, like I think in, in India, Nigeria and Ghana, it was like double DK, which is, which I find quite interesting. And, and, you, and even though in the UK you probably have more opportunity as a woman yeah. to do so. So I find it's that quite really interesting, interesting and quite impressive about yeah. um, the cultures back home. So where, so um, before we conclude, I want to ask, where do you see um, women and tech in like, in terms of Africa? Where do you see that going in the next, I don't know, maybe mm. five, ten years? Yeah, so like, especially now, like um, in Africa, like there is this like, like you have to, you have to remember like entrepreneurship isn't new 
Um, so like, mm. like we just talked about, like women going out and selling, etc. They they are entrepreneurs, but that that term has has never been like formalized or like they haven't applied like all these Western norms to it, etc. Um, but like nowadays, like there's been a lot of like, say for instance, startup hubs and ecosystems that are being built in Africa, um, and like especially. Well, I can only speak for Ghana and what I've seen um, when I've been there. But like, there are quite a few hubs that are um, focusing focusing on African women in tech. So I think I see that growing quite a lot. Um, and I was speaking to um, one one lady who started like a incubator for African women, and she talked about like when targeting women it's the little things so for instance like when you're when you're um addressing women or like when you're um when you're creating programs for women and you're and you're calling it oh the startup battle or the startup challenge the language that you use it kind of um it kind of excludes them and especially you have Mm. to take into account like the cultural and social norms so like if you're putting on programs that are going on through the evening and the night many women may not be able to attend. So I oh, think... Yeah, ch- exactly, yeah, exactly. So I think people are starting to recognise this and, and a lot of player. there's a lot of players in the market now um, that are going in and like recognising and able to consolidate cultural norms and also the idea of entrepreneurship um, and business development. So I see that growing, um, especially when it comes to women and all types of startups. Um, and then hopefully, well, I do see investment f- funding in to um especially within tech so there was something like um a statistic that said let me get this right i think it was like over a third of venture capital funding went to fintech in 2017 last mm. year so obviously like people are recognizing um that there's value there and that there's potential there um just because by by their very nature like these are homegrown solutions like african solutions for african problems so like that, which makes it promising because in, you're not applying just like Western models or S- Silicon Valley-esque models to, um, mm. to an economy. You're going to do things that work for you and do things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you're going to apply solutions to problems that you've seen. Um, so that's why there's been like quite a lot of interest in that field. So yeah, that's what I see basically. Yeah. I'm very interested to see how things manifest. Yeah. Um, I believe that just culturally, um, I think culture makes a big impact on like, how different people operate in different societies. And I've, I remember I was posting statistics about um, how much um, graduates age 25 are earning in the UK. And like, I think uh, black Africans were quite high up for both male mm, and female. I saw that, yeah. And yeah, yeah. So um, I see... I see good things in terms of, but it'll be, I'm just interested to see how these generations, I mean, like our generation, how we, how we interact with that kind of, that's, that's something like, I don't really know. Cause in fact, I'm going to, I'm going to poll it and see how interested mm-hmm. people are like engaging with business back home. Cause a lot of obviously stereotypes and most of them pretty accurate. Yeah, like, no, yeah, 100%. Like, do you yeah. know what, like, like engagement has increased definitely and like there's a few organizations nowadays like that are trying to basically plug that gap whereby people here can engage back home or even go back and like have jobs back home etc 
And but it's very easy to have an idea of like, oh, the land of opportunity, etc. Um, but when you talk to people that have made the move, they will tell you the real. It's hard. Mm. Excuse me. And yeah, things very hard. don't things don't work like they work here. But of course, there is still a need for people if and there's still opportunity there if you want to take that opportunity. Um, but I think, excuse me, I think it's very important. Um, well, this is what I've got from people that I've spoken to because I obviously haven't made the move is to do your research um, and to speak to as many people as possible. And also like do like trial runs, go, like, go to go back to wherever you want to end up settling go there for a couple of months then a year go at different times don't just go at christmas and think that's how like lagos yeah like yeah that's how it is because there are dead times um so like i think it's it's years in the making man like it's not something that you just get up and say you know what power to the people i'm gonna go back home it just it's, it's so much that goes into it and you have to tap into why like that why is really going to drive you in the hard times so you have to really understand mm. why you're doing it um, yeah, 100. But yeah. Um, I actually just wanted to make like one last point. Sorry. It might just sound like very disjointed, like I'm going back, but um, I kind of like touched on it when we talked about China, um, talking about commodities mm. and stuff. And I think like one of the main things that like sparked like my interest and like my passion for like African development was learning like about like how like reliant we are on like our commodities and like the trading patterns that are just not beneficial for us. So like, Mm. um, which is part of the reason why China is able to, you know, kind of swindle us with these like agreements. Um, It's because, yeah, basically we are tied to our commodities. And like when you are tied to your commodity, you are tied to the market. And the way the nature of the market is, it goes up and down, right? And what Mm. I'll use the example of like cocoa. So like, for instance, something like, Ivory Coast and Ghana combined produce like 60% of the world's cocoa, right? And chocolate is a $100 billion um, industry. Mm. But so imagine you're the biggest producer of the most integral ingredient of chocolate, which is a $100 billion industry. How much are you getting? We're getting about 2% of that industry that's bonkers it's bonkers because and that's just one example that's just one that's just chocolate yeah so like basically what happens is that we don't have the capacity to like manufacture and produce so what happens is we send uh we we sell or the farmers sell um the cocoa beans to whatever um maybe belgium for instance because belgium is known for their finest chocolate right they manufacture it Mm -hmm. and they sell it back to us for, for an extortion extortionate price so we don't that's have the matching. capability to, and that's where most of the value is. The value isn't in the raw material. The value really is in the value added products. Products, product, yeah. So in the manufacturing, oh. in the sorting, in the branding, that's where the money really comes from. And because we don't have that capability on the ground, we're basically selling ourselves short. Um, and that's when I was like, that's when it really triggered me. I was like, right, like there's just so much that needs to be done. Yeah, it, it does rattle. It, it rattles you rattle because, you. like. I'm just talking about chocolate. Like, I haven't even talked about oil. I haven't talked about copper. Like, these are the things mm. that, like, yeah, it's it's a real problem. And then, like, um, so, yeah, so, what was I going to say? Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, that, so, I think even looking at that, that's why China is able to offer their manufacturing capabilities and um, because we we just, we just have that gap. 
But I think things are changing in that. Um, so, for instance, the president of Ghana, he has this um, policy called One District, One Factory. So essentially his aim is to have a factory in every single district in Ghana um, and mm. started to build that legacy of manufacturing. And that, that's basically how China got rich. That's how... how um, a lot of these Asian, South Asian countries who were historically poor have been able to develop their com- economies because when you retain the value um, in the economy, um, that's how you develop. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. But yeah, things are changing, I think. And even talking about diaspora engagement, for instance, I don't know if you've seen Dapper Chocolates, that's essentially what they're trying to do with um, their products. So um, they're using cocoa beans from directly from Ghana, um, producing it themselves um, and eventually have the aim to create factories and, and jobs back home. And I think that's the sort of thing that, that's yeah, sick. that's the sort of thing that we all need to set our minds to. It's such a huge, huge problem and there's so much politics and like, um, yeah, so much bureaucracy as well. But I think if we... Yeah, I think the bureaucracy that, is what yeah. really damages um exactly it's it's in it's there's no incentive to change things um like in terms of like for um develop other our trading partners there's no incentive to change because it benefits them and even like when like i don't know brexit brexit brexiteers talk about oh yeah now we can make trade with africa like it's not like they're not thinking oh yeah let's make things better for us they're making they're thinking about themselves and we also need to do that so um yeah i think if we're thinking about engagement we need to get real and like really think okay where can i actually add value not like oh let me think about myself like oh let me just go and live in ghana and like build a house or something where can i actually add value because then you'll just be dead weight Mm. so yeah yeah. (laughs) yeah so that's what i want to say sorry i forgot to say that before but yeah no, no, I like that. That's very good. That's a very good point yeah. to close on. Um, thank you for joining me. And, and thank uh, you. Where can where can the where can the streets find you? Streets, you know. Um, <laughs> so, of course, my blog, um, AnetteAbena.com, um, and I, I'm Annette Abena on all social media, so Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook as well. If you still use that. Um, and yeah, um, I have an email on my bios as well, which is info at anitabinot.com as well. So I'm always interested in like talking to you and interviewing people that have interest in Africa, um, have businesses um, or thinking about having businesses as well. I'd love to talk to you. Um, and I also review like African inspired brands as well. So if you'd like to send me anything, do that. But um, yeah, like I'm, and even just have a conversation, like you can jump in my DMs and have a conversation about like, Africa and development and stuff like that I'm always interested in hearing what people have to say because I've still got so much to learn as well um, and I'd mm. just love to hear people's perspectives on things so yeah that's how you find me I'm going to jump you at the end pretend to talk about Africa just to get to you though I hope you know yeah that. well <laughs> <laughs> you don't even mind do you it's cool don't right? put that in the podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, that no. out you know <laughs> no way I'll keep it a sense no 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 there's filters I'll, there'll, there'll be filters in the, in the DMs but yeah no honestly um, honestly, yeah I'm, I'm interested in talking about these things so yeah okay well Annette thank you for your time yeah thank hope you. you have a wonderful remainder of your weekend thank you if you're listening to this please I'm on Spotify now so you can listen to me on Spotify just search this numbers on Spotify and if you're Apple Music Apple, Apple, Apple Podcast listener make sure you subscribe and download the podcast so it's easy for you to listen to when you're on the train all that type of stuff so so you're offline and yeah thank you for listening also share this episode especially around your African yeah. friends 
and check make sure you check out um next blog it's really good I, I, I read it pretty often but yeah thank you thanks for listening and peace sports social podcast network